joy. We hear it and we think of happiness or laughter, but true joy far outweighs any fleeting emotions. Like a beautiful garment, joy is a response that we clothe ourselves with. And at this time of year, it's our heart's cry as we bear witness again to the birth of the Savior. And let's face it, there's not a person here who couldn't use a little more joy these days. So you're invited into that quality of joy, whether your life is full of happiness or not. It's an invitation for every person, and it's here now, because Jesus is here now. This is joy. Welcome to Christmas. Okay, the third Sunday of Advent, and we get to light the pink candle and wear pink uh, shirts, right? Because it's joy. This is apparently the liturgical color of joy. So I see a lot of you are not very joyful. <laughs> you didn't get the memo. No, that's okay. This is all I had clean. No, that's not true. Um, so we're going to think about joy today. And anytime I think about joy around the Advent season, I am drawn to Mary's song. And Mary's song is sometimes called Mary's Magnificat. Nothing to do with cats. It's uh, the opening line in Latin of this song, Mary's Magnificat. And in fact, the whole passage that was read for us, hopefully you picked up that it was a very joyful passage. I mean, John the Baptist is still in his mom's womb and he's jumping for joy, right? And we have Mary's soul rejoicing in God, her Savior, and Elizabeth's friends later on, if we kept reading, they surround her with rejoicing at the birth of John the Baptist. The angels, a little bit later on, they announce great joy, good news to all people. And the shepherds experience joy. This is a very happy occasion as we work through this passage. And with joy, of course, comes a lot of singing and songs. When we're happy, if you're happy, when you, if you're happy and you know it right, clap your hands and sing. And as we go into this passage in Luke, there's actually four songs that are listed here, which are quite fascinating, all in their own right. Mary starts it off with her Magnificat, and then we have Zacharias Benedictus. We've given them all Latin names because it sounds more spiritual, I guess. Zacharias Benedictus, and then the angels, Gloria in Excelsis Deo, right? We sang some of that today. And then Simeon's Nuc Dimis, Dimitis. I can't even say it. Anybody know what that means? It's like, let me depart. Because <laughs> that's what Simeon says. He says, he's been waiting forever for the consolation of Israel. He holds Jesus in his arms, and he says, now I can go in peace. Let me depart in peace. So these four amazing Advent songs are recorded for us in Luke's gospel in these opening chapters. And we're going to look in a moment at Mary's. Mary's Magnificat, her song, is actually not entirely original material. She might get in trouble today for that, but not back then. In fact, if you look up 1 Samuel chapter 2, you'll read about another courageous woman named Hannah. And her song um, about the birth of her son comes out, and Mary actually echoes some of Hannah's song. But Mary's song takes a different, slightly different tone. Mary's song takes the tone of the revolutionary prophets. 
And that's what intrigues me as we go through Mary's song. It's not just a happy song. It's actually a revolutionary song. And we get a different glimpse at who Mary is and how important she is to this whole story. Uh, the German theologian, some of you know the name, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he recognized this subversive nature of Mary's song, and he spoke these words. It was in a sermon during Advent in 1933. He said this, The song of Mary is the oldest Advent hymn. It is at once the most passionate, the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. This is not the gentle, tender, dreamy Mary whom we sometimes see in paintings. This song has none of the sweet, nostalgic, or even playful tones of some of our Christmas carols. This is revolution. Does that surprise you? Read the song again. Read Mary's song again. There's wild things happening here. There's a moral revolution. He scatters the proud and the plans of their hearts. There's a social revolution. He brings down the mighty rulers and exalts the humble. You can imagine people that are oppressed. They're just longing for this, right? There's also an economic revolution. He fills the hungry and sends the rich away empty-handed. That's in Mary's song. I don't know if we see Jesus in those tones. I don't know if we see Jesus as being this kind of revolutionary uh, that, that turns the world upside down. But we see it here in Mary's song. There's this revolutionary prophetic tone to it, and it's awesome. As I was uh, preparing for this message, I kept coming across um, a claim that was made multiple times in multiple sources, but I could never get to the original source. So I offered this information um, sort of tentatively, but this is what I discovered that it's often reported that Mary's song was actually banned from public reading during certain times by certain governments who were trying to suppress the uprising of the common people. It was uh, banned, apparently, when the British occupied and ruled India. It was banned by the Guatemalan government in the 1980s and the government of Argentina during the so-called Dirty War. Now, I can't exactly verify, I couldn't find an actual edict from a government or a law or some kind of, of very specific rule that was cast, but along the popular lines, there is this idea of strong resonance among the popular people with Mary's song and her tone and a concern from the rulers and authorities that this song might be used to stir the people up. Interesting, isn't it? how we see the song playing out over the years. But Mary's song is not just about revolution. Mary's song is also very much about joy. My soul rejoices in God, my Savior. And so here's the question I'd like to ask today that we can work toward, and it's this. What is the source of Mary's joy? And that's what we need to get to. I want to say three things about biblical joy before we get to try and answer that. And these three things might be a little disruptive to you, especially the first one. The first one is this, biblical joy. Joy and happiness are actually equals in the Bible. 
Now, even our intro um, <laughs> a little clip that we showed before the sermon might suggest that happiness is very different from joy. And so I spent like the last two weeks reading every single verse in the Bible where joy is mentioned. And every time that joy and happiness is mentioned together, see, this is what pastors do in their free time, right? And I worked it all through and I discovered this. There is no explicit difference between happiness and joy in the Bible. Both involve the emotions, both are pleasurable feelings, and both are mentioned in Scripture passages that equate the two. This is important for us, and but might be a little disruptive according to how we've understood joy and happiness and the distinction um, that we sometimes make. I'm going to give you one example, and we could give many. Proverbs 23 and verse 25 says this, so give your father and mother joy. May she who gave birth to you be happy. Do you see how that works out? Um, within Hebrew poetry, there's parallelism. That means that the first line is basically saying the exact same thing as the second line. And here we have joy used first, happy used second. Both mean the same thing. But we like to make a distinction, and so this raised my curiosity, and hopefully it raises yours, because I think we make this kind of distinction very often. We say things like this, happiness is what the world seeks, but true Christians seek joy, right? Happiness depends on circumstances and happenings, but joy is a choice that we make, this kind of this determinism of the Christian faith. Happiness is temporary, but joy is eternal. So don't seek happiness. Don't try to be happy. <laughs> I think it came from a lot of Calvinistic theologians or something. Um, but I think it did, actually, as I researched this and looked into it and searched my own heart. What is this all about? Why are we so afraid to be happy as Christians? Sometimes, right? And I think it is this idea in a certain time period within our Christian tradition, certain theologians diminished any expression of emotion in favor of actions of the will. And so we became very determined to behave and be good Christians. We're going to be joyful no matter what we get or what happens, right? That's not the tone of this passage at all. This passage is overflowing with happiness. There's happiness everywhere we look. And in the Bible... There is no such distinction between joy and happiness. Now, however, there is discernment needed on where we find happiness, on where we find joy. There is discernment needed in the sources of our joy, and sometimes those sources can be very fleeting and not very helpful, and sometimes those sources can be secure and we can enjoy them together. But as we look through Scripture, and this will become more important as we go through it, there's no big distinction. If a person is joyful, then he or she is happy. There's no such thing as a glum joy. We cannot drain joy of emotion and still call it joy. When God's Spirit gives us joy, then we are happy people. Don't be afraid to be happy, even in the midst of difficulties and suffering. Mary, Elizabeth, the women after that surrounded um, Elizabeth and John the Baptist, they are experiencing happiness, and it's a gift from God, and should be entered into and not be afraid of. Okay, second point as we work through this. Joy and grief 
are not mutually exclusive. This is another thing we find in the Bible that's astonishing to me. Just as happiness and joy are found in the same sentence, so too joy and grief are found in the same sentence and within the same experience of our humanity. We see this in the Psalms all the time, this idea of mourning turning to dancing, weeping lasts for a night, joy comes in the morning, this grief and joy going together hand in hand. Paul said it like this, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. We can actually experience joy. When we run into very difficult situations, they're not mutually exclusive. Jesus, it said of him, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. This idea of joy and suffering being together, which is remarkable as we find it in the New Testament. Funeral services, and over the last almost 30 years now, I've had the opportunity and honor to do many funeral services. And sometimes it's uh, very difficult. But even in the most difficult of funeral services, joy kind of trickles through, doesn't it? There's a memory. There's something that happens. And we, we, we are happy, even for a moment. Uh, one of the services I was talking about recently is, um, and, uh, this is probably three years ago now, maybe more, maybe four years ago, losing track of time, having so much fun. So maybe four years ago now, I got a call from the uh, chaplain at the hospital, South Health Campus, and they said, can you come and be with this man? Uh, he's about to die. And I get these calls from time to time. And uh, I went to him, I didn't know him, I didn't know the family. And they said, uh, there's Baptists in the background, so we'd like a Baptist pastor, as if it's magical to have a Baptist pastor sitting beside you in the hospital. And so I went and I met with him and I held his hand and he was just barely able to speak. His lungs were just filling up with fluid. And uh, he wanted me to pray with him and pray for him. And in those moments, I led him to faith in Jesus. And uh, his son actually recorded the whole thing. And then we sat with him while he, he passed away. Well, his family didn't have any church connections. And they said, well, can we come here to Bonavista Baptist and have a service? I said, of course you can. We'll host this for you. The interesting thing was they wanted to do it karaoke style. Because he was a big karaoke singer down at the Lighthouse Pub. And so the whole service, I mean, I couldn't believe the videos that we had showing in here as part of our celebration. And there was a lot of tears. There's also a lot of laughter as people had this mix of emotions, right? And that's what we find. That's the reality of our experience. We find it in Scripture. In this passage, keep in mind that this was not an easy time for Mary, she had every reason not to be happy. She had this, this very scandalous pregnancy. She was probably actually sent away so that they could kind of deal with it, not have the scandal in the family. And she needed support. And so she made this very dangerous trip. Over 80 miles she had to travel to be with her cousin Elizabeth. And so this was not an encouraging or particularly comfortable time for Mary. It was a time of great uncertainty, and yet she experienced happiness as she rejoices with her cousin Elizabeth. I think sometimes we are even surprised by joy, even in the midst of difficulties. And when we have those moments of joys, joy, even though in our mind we're like, we should be sad right now, 
Don't push those moments of happiness or joy aside. Embrace them as a gift from God because they come to remind us that God is still in control. The third thing is this I want to say about joy. And this is true in the passage and really is the heart of the answer to the question, where was the source of Mary's joy? It's this. Joy is ultimately found in the fulfillment of God's promises. That's what we find happening in the passage. It's not the only source of joy. There's many sources of joy joy that we find all throughout the world. I mean, God's creation is beautiful. Go for a walk, take some pictures, experience joy. Uh, The Bible even says uh, a nice glass of wine sometimes is joyful. Um, All these things can be in their right time and in good measure. Bring joy to our hearts, friendships and family, all kinds of things. There's lots of legitimate sources of happiness and joy, and God invites us to enjoy them all. Uh, The man's chief end, according to the Shorter Catechism, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Isn't that wonderful? Enjoy God. Be happy in God. One of the things that Christine and I do together that we find joy in is we go riding our motorbike. And I have to tell you, but one day, which for the full day, we were entirely happy. And Christine will know if she thinks for a moment. I didn't warn her about this. I probably should get permission, actually, to share these stories. But just in the uh, late fall, we were watching the calendar, watching the weather, and we saw that the temperature was going to be pretty decent. And so we took a risk. We saddled up the motorbike. The two of us got on it, and we went up north and onto the forestry trunk road. And the idea was to drive all the way north to Nordegg. And uh, we made it as far as just outside Sundry. There's a little camp area. And we camped there. And then the next morning we got up. It was pretty chilly, but gorgeous sunshine. And we rode for the day to Ram River Falls, up the, the gravel road. We rode to Nordegg, made it just in time to get coffee. And then we rode west toward the mountains and the sunset and landed at Saskatchewan River Crossing. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And the whole day, I had a smile on my face. It was amazing, right? It was like one of the best riding days. We even saw a bear. Well, Christine saw the bear. I was watching the road. But it was the best day. Well, the next day, we got up in Saskatchewan River Crossing, and it was like two degrees and raining, ice rain. And now we had to ride all the way down into Banff in the pouring ice rain. And we finally made it to the McDonald's in Canmore and there was some sunshine stripped off our gear, not completely, but, and, and then we dried out in the sun while we ate our Big Macs. And Christine said to me, even with all that discomfort for the last two hours riding in the ice rain, I would do it all over again. Because of that one day, that joy, Joy can sustain us like that, can't it? When we hold on, we remember that there's something better for us, and God has designed something better for us. But the ultimate source of joy is probably not motorcycles. Motorcycles will come and go, and whatever it else that we find joy in, it's good, but it's not lasting. Joy is found ultimately, according to Mary, in the fulfillment of God's promises. For Mary and the Gospel writers, Joy is the response of those who see God at work through Jesus and the fulfillment of God's promises and plans brings joy. That's what's happening here. As as Mary walks in with Jesus in her womb, Elizabeth 
with John the Baptist in her womb, they rejoice. Why? Because the fulfillment of God's promises is happening before their very eyes. And they recognize that and they enter into joy together. So the happiness of this passage is not just about two cousins celebrating the pregnancies. That would have been great cause for joy. Elizabeth very old and Mary very young. But it's also about two courageous, faithful, godly women recognizing that God was fulfilling his promises through them. And that caused them to overflow with joy when we recognize that God is fulfilling his promises through you and me. What a joyful thing in spite of whatever else we are facing. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. That's what Mary and Elizabeth and everybody around them were saying. Yes, the Messiah is here. Yes, God's promises are being fulfilled right before our very eyes. What does that mean for you and me? Well, because God fulfilled his promise to send the Messiah, we can trust and know we can trust and have confidence in every other promise that God makes to us. Now, I have to be careful here because some of us, we feel we have very personal promises from God. Remember, uh, someone very close to us felt very personally that they were, they were promised a child from God, but then they never got pregnant and there's sorrow in that. So when I say this, I want to say it very carefully. <laughs> that the promises of God that we find in Scripture, the promises that are made to us together collectively, we can trust and have absolute confidence in them because of the story of God fulfilling His promise through Mary in sending the Messiah. Because God fulfilled His promise to send the Messiah, we can trust other promises like this. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all our righteousness. We don't have to carry shame. We don't have to carry guilt. We can absolutely trust the promise of God to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Or how about this one? I will never leave you nor forsake you. How can we trust that? How do we know that's true? Because God fulfilled his promise through Mary in sending the Messiah. Or how about this one? That we will one day be raised with Christ. During this time, we, we often think about those whom we've lost, lost loved ones. Uh, today is actually would be my mom and dad's anniversary date, but it's also the date that we laid them to rest uh, in the grave about 13 years ago now. And I think about my dad, but I have this hope. I have this promise that I will see him again on his stone. It says, till we meet in Christ. And that gives me joy, Right? We have this other promise that this same Jesus who is gone from us will come again. And that's hard to believe, except we have this promise fulfilled through Mary in sending Jesus the first time. And so we experience joy because we can trust the promises of God. Our confidence in God's ability to fulfill his promises brings us joy, even as we face pain, even as we face sorrow, even as we face suffering. So Advent joy is revolutionary happiness rooted in the promises of God. We experience joy as we celebrate the fulfillment of God's promises in us and through us and to us through Jesus Christ. This source of happiness, this fountain of joy will never dry up. Let's pray together.
Father, we thank you for the many gifts that we have received from you that bring us great joy. Daily blessings, whether it's our food or the sunshine outside, whether it's friends and encouraging words, so many ways that we experience just a taste of happiness. But we thank you most of all for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you that in him all your promises are yes and amen, that we can trust you completely, and in that trust we can experience joy. I pray especially for those in the congregation today and in my own heart as we deal with grief, as we remember those whom we've lost, as we feel heavy at times because of the circumstances around us. But Father, we pray that you'd also, even with that, help us to experience your joy, your happiness that comes from trusting in your promises. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.